Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you! More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 896. Today we hear from Sarah, who asks, Any thoughts on the divine comedy and the modern fixation on Inferno? Some interpret it secularly, but the poem is clearly religious and a great work of literature. Does that still happen? Are you familiar with great literature created by someone of faith dealing with issues of faith? I know many great writers used to be people of faith in the past. Are you aware of any recent literature, say, in the last 20 years? I know of a lot of writers who are religious, but I don't know a lot of religious writers dealing with religion as a topic who aren't writing for a religious press and writing what is essentially religious propaganda. Um... I, the audience has gotten very, very secular, and a lot of the writers that I personally know of that write to deal with religious themes are people who used to be religious, and I count myself in this group. I am no longer religious, but I have both a great affection and respect and fascination for um, a lot of the products of religion and a lot of the thinking of religious thinkers. But not since uh, Madeline Langle and Annie Dillard have I run into someone who's putting their religious themes front and center um, as a religious author. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot. There's a lot of books that are published all the time, and I may have just missed them because the particular genres I read may be more secular than, for example, you get in literary, literary fiction or um, romance or other things like that. Uh, I do know, I mean, I, I know a couple of people who write Amish romance, and those books do tend to deal with religious themes quite a lot, and at least one of the two people I know that write Amish romance is an evangelical Christian, so who knows? I've come to the same conclusion that you have on that one. Most of the people that are dealing with issues of faith and the human condition on that level tend to be either ex-religious or never religious but fascinated by the literature of religion. Mm -hmm. um, As I'm thinking, there may be a reason for that. Too. the back back when Dante was writing. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, the whole Divine Comedy is fascinating and fabulous, and you're right; it's quite clearly a work of religious literature. The Inferno is the one that translates well to people who don't understand Catholic theology, which is why I think it's taken on a life of its own. Um, but um, when Dante was writing, 
everybody was religious. Everybody shared the same basic Catholic worldview. It wasn't just religious. It was high medieval Catholicism. And it was the common language of philosophy and of culture and everything else. So you could, you had, if you used religious themes and language, you had a big canvas to paint with. One of the things that happened with the Protestant Reformation is that the the grip, the, the common religious narrative that had united the world since the fall of Rome, the Western world, fell apart. Each sect had its own theology, and they were not... The idea that someone is a Christian is a very recent idea. It's, uh, it, it's a political invention of the post-World War II era. It's not that people before that didn't call themselves Christians, but the Methodists believed that they were the real Christians and everybody else wasn't, and that was common among all the Protestant sects. The idea of Christian being an overriding identity and denominations just being flavors that everybody respected, that's pretty recent. But because of this, um, because of the shattering of the Reformation, the uh, one of the things that happened is that theology got heavily demythologized, which sounds kind of odd when you're talking about things like God coming to earth through and being born of a virgin and then being sacrificed and resurrecting and that sort of thing, because that's all pretty heavily mythological stuff, yeah, miracles and that whole thing. Whether you believe it happened in real life or not, the form is mythic, as C.S. Lewis spotted very, very well. The Protestant Reformation was undertaken by literally a bunch of lawyers, and their attitude about theology was that it was legal in nature rather than being mythic in nature. And so... Lawyers ruin everything. Then. Lawyers ruin everything. Um, so what happened was that the religious consciousness over the last 400 years has become, um, out, outside of the Catholic and Orthodox churches, in Christianity, the religious consciousness has become more and more legalistic. And... That means that all of the other things that myth gives you access to, all the great philosophy and the um, meditations on the meaning of things, is sort of seeped away from Protestant Christianity. And By legalistic, you're meaning that the adherence to a particular set of rules mm -hmm. is more important than the um, story that yes. those rules are packaged in. Right. And not just that, but the the conception of the story is as a legal framework. So it's not just the adherence to a set of like do's and don'ts, but the notion of theology has become very much like reading a law code. Mm -hmm. If you believe X and Y doctrine then you have achieved salvation or you have um, you've done what God requires of you to have salvation. And if you do not believe X and Y doctrine, if you fail your theology test, it doesn't matter what your other merits are, you're out. Or in Calvinism, it's not even an issue of belief. God picks the winners and picks the losers and you don't have anything to do with it and you can only tell by the evidence of your life. And there, there's each denomination has this little bit of a different flavor on it. And of course, evangelicalism is the most reductive and formulaic bit of the lot, which it inherits from Lutheranism, which uh, also has German pietism attached to it and all of that. But the thing is, these traditions are all, uh, almost all, either Scottish or German, and they're all invented by lawyers. 
And so the way that lawyers think is baked into the religious traditions. And unfortunately, one of the things that means is that the mythic and the mystical, which is where complex ideas get encoded in a way that's accessible to the hoipoloi, you just it doesn't happen when you're thinking like a lawyer. A lawyer wants certainty over the stuff he cares about, and he delves in to figure out what the correct interpretation is so that he can know where he stands. And that's not how the rest of religion works. That's not how mythology works. That's not how storytelling works. But um, since the evangelical revolution synthesized German pietism and American fundamentalism in the 1950s, what used to be the really dry dogmatic fundamentalist mentality, which came down from the Scottish theologian lawyers, got fused with the um, with the neo-Calvinists and the very um, it's a little more culturally open, but it's just as dogmatic in a different way. Uh, German traditions of Lutheranism and Calvinism, boom, they come together. You get evangelicalism, which has come to dominate the American cultural discourse around religion, and to the point where it's seeped into all of the denominations, the evangelical consciousness. And that's partly as a result of an incredible, massive publishing effort led by, first by Billy Graham, and then exploding into, like, Christian music and Christian media and what's whatnot in the 1980s. I was wondering when you would get around to that, the Christian publishing houses. Oh, and God, don't get the, me started. Well, that's one of the reasons that the broader religiously flavored, um, not religiously flavored, but the religiously informed art for the broader culture is largely the purview of the non-religious or the very casually religious. It's because the deeply religious are writing only for themselves. Right, and that comes from the old fundamentalist notion, and by fundamentalist I mean the capital F, American fundamentalism, which is the kind of Christianity you saw during the Scopes trial. Led, uh, Williams Gen William Jennings Bryan was a major um, thought leader in the American fundamentalist movement. The American fundamentalist movement is kind of like the Amish in that it's deeply separatist. The idea is that, um, what's the, um, oh, there, there's a, a, a stanza about it. Uh, we are the good and chosen few, and all the rest be damned. There's room enough in hell for you. We don't want heaven crammed. <laughs> it was a satirical poem written about the American fundamentalist movement, and it really does well sum up their mentality. The evangelical movement is far more open in that it's it's not exclusionary, it's trying to rope everyone possible into salvation, but it maintains that notion of deep separation, where you want the Christian culture separated from the secular culture. And so, because of that, Christians started writing very much for themselves, instead of engaging the broader dialectic, as was common before the 1950s in America and before the 1970s in Britain, which is the last, and the, the late British Christian writers like C.S. Lewis and um, uh, Dorothy Sayers and J.R.R. Tolkien and whatnot, those are the last really great religious writers you saw from Britain that were religious writers writing fiction for a non-religious audience. Um, or for, for a global audience, religious or non-religious. Mm -hmm. um, and since then, it's the, uh, it's the separation of religion and the 
dearth of religion that has inspired secular writers to go and seek out and contemplate religious themes, because while they may not buy the doctrine, quite a lot of us recognize the cultural value in there. So, if you are a writer of faith and are wanting to write about religious issues for a secular audience, A, welcome to the party. The world is kind of missing your voice right now. And B, make sure that you're actually writing for a secular audience, not just publishing with secular book covers. You're writing to a audience largely that doesn't know the Bible or the Quran or the Hindu scriptures or the Tanakh or anything like that, or the Torah. And so you're going to have some remediation to do. And you're also not going to get very far if you're preaching doctrine instead of contemplating ideas. But there's certainly an appetite out there for the contemplation of big ideas that are rooted in religion that are currently not in the main cultural milieu, because, frankly, religions had thousands of years to toss around its ideas, and they came up with some interesting stuff that whether or not the doctrines the stuff is attached to is true, the um, mode of discourse and many of the conclusions are interesting and have survived the evolutionary test of time. And since human nature don't change, they'll always at least be relevant on that level, whatever the veridical nature of particular claims about deities are. So that's what I got. Thank you very much for the question. And we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation, submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat, or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.